Welcome to episode 33 of the Men Who Saved Football, the Dundalk FC fancast. We're having a little reflection on the comings and goings in a kind of a dramatic transfer window. Guys, last time we were talking, I think the vibe was very much that we wanted to see the squad held together. Maybe a little incremental change, but some refurbishment rather than revolution, I think was the the, um, phrase we used. However, it seems that there is going to be dramatic change this season. What have you made of the comings and goings so far? Well, I think that the biggest one to comment on is the loss, uh, Sean Gannon. Not to start off negatively, but uh, that's a huge, huge, huge loss. Um, it's really sad to see. I said this in a previous episode, but I remember back, I'm guessing maybe 2015 or 2016, the Christmas time where we were waiting for him to re-sign. And he re-signed days before Christmas and it was like a, pre- it was like a Christmas present. And I was in the pub and it was like this uh, elation so it's the it's the inverse of that. Um, so that was the first kind of thing. I know it's been followed up by re-signings, which 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 is it's just quite positive. But I think that's the first thing. Uh, the loss of Sean Gannon. Um, I mean, he's the absolute best. He has been the best in that position in the league for years. And um, there's no way to spin it. It's a loss, you know. You, you know, sometimes when a player leaves, you can kind of say, "Oh well, you know, we've got the best out of him." Stuff like this. Um, and to go to our rivals, our chief rivals, uh, it's a double whammy. It's, it's like a double loss, you know, it's like a, a six-pointer. To If he'd gone overseas, I, I can usually take these things when a, when a player of that talent goes overseas, you can take it for a few reasons. They're not rivaling us in the, in the league, so they won't be playing against us. And it, it's hard to get angry, upset or sad when a player goes abroad because you're happy for them in a way. And listen... We'd all wish that our league was of a higher standard that players would want to stay. But if, if the players want it abroad and they have that ambition, it's always all the best. But to see him to go to our rivals is just... It's, it also says something about ourselves and the state we're in, I think. Um, now, we might get into you know why maybe he would choose to leave. Um, how couldn't we have kept him? Maybe we'll talk about that in a bit. But I think that's the first thing. That's the most dramatic change... And it's going to be tough to see us line out next year without him. Obviously, as well, Sean Hoare went as well. Uh, again, another huge loss. And to go to Rovers, uh, I mean, Sean has, I mean, obviously, uh, almost don't need to say anything about Sean Gannon and his contribution. But Sean Hoare as well, um, I, I think, has been a really good squad player over the years and has contributed some pretty important goals as well. So, uh Obviously, we'll get to the re-signings and the incomings in a bit, but I think that's the, that's my first reflection is just those two those two leaving is, is huge. Yeah, I think losing the most decorated player in the history of the, the league to your fiercest rivals uh, is really like a bit of a message. Uh, I think it's very hard to absorb that. Like I noticed that uh, Shamrock Rovers previous incumbent in that position, Rory Gaffney, immediately packed his bags and left for the Irish League as if to say, well, not bothering sticking around to fight for this position, I'm off. Uh, and it's hard not to kind of appreciate that sentiment a little bit, like that is a, a big blow. Um, I think also sort of the the manner of their departure, that you couldn't feel, uh, you couldn't help but feel that they were messed around a bit in terms of the contract negotiations. We made like some kind of weird 11th hour bid to try to keep uh, both Sean Gannon and Sean Hoare, uh, just to show our kind of flailing desperation uh, in the market. You know, at one stage if you'd said, oh, you know, we've got the best out of these guys or, you know, there's too much uncertainty about like having these people on the wage bill for years and years uh, and you just accept it, you know, maybe you can say that's some kind of weak argument uh, against letting them go. 
but if you're prepared to, like I say, make 11th hour bids to try to actually keep them in the face of you know serious competition, uh, I think that's a sign that you've just royally screwed it up uh, and off they've gone. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of hard to take. Yeah, and I think that there's a couple of other people who've left as well, like John Mountney. Um, rumours that Dane Massey is gone, although like nothing confirmed by the club. And I think we talked about you know the potential for a wholesale dismantling of the Stephen Kenny Vinnie Perth era. Uh, and it looks more and more like we've got there. And I, I think particularly in the case of John Mountney, if, you know, he turned around and signed for somebody else the next day, you'd say, OK, maybe again he was prized from our grip. But the fact that that hasn't happened suggests that, you know, somebody at the club has just said, no, we're, we're just not keeping these players uh, and just sent them on the way. And to do that to servants of the club like John Mountney and Dane Massey is just incredible. Like a, a lack of understanding of both the game and, you know, the club domestically and everything like that. It's just, it seems senseless yeah no you've brought me right back to last week as regards mood because uh when the news of sean hora and sean gannon's departure uh broke i just thought well it's kind of a nightmare coming to fruition because our fear all along was that we were delaying and delaying and delaying in making offers to these now apparently the players Vinny perth had moved to secure both players prior to his sacking and uh, he wanted to keep sean gannon like sean gannon is one of the most successful players in the history of the league. He's, he's only one season since his career began that he hasn't picked up a league winner's medal. But as well as that, beyond the statistics, beyond the medals, we know that Sean Gannon was one of the absolute pillars on which the success of Dundalk FC has been built over this glorious period. At 29 years of age, nobody can seriously say that Sean Gannon didn't have more to offer. Uh, Sean Gannon had a wealth of experience. He knew how to win games. He had played at the highest level. His, he was an absolutely model professional in everything that, uh, that he did in, 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 in every display. And, I mean, some people might say, you know, it was a disruptive year and his form suffered. I mean, I really don't think so. If you look at his contribution in the cup final, it was, once again, Sean Gannon was definitely one of the reasons that we won that game he's involved in the build-up to the goal which gets us back into it but beyond just this season like over over a period Sean Gannon is is proven if there is any player in the league that is of proven quality it's Sean Gannon beyond any question and for us to essentially bumble the contract offer to him to such an extent that at the end of the day he he like the all the signs are that he wanted to stay at Dundalk, that he was committed to Dundalk, and if he had been given a coherent offer from the club, he would have stayed. And all the time that you are sitting and waiting and resting on your laurels and not securing your talent, they are vulnerable to being picked up by somebody else. Now we thought we were beyond the stage where Shamrock Rovers could come and prize away our best players, but we talked before about the Ronan Finn signing that happening because Dundalk essentially got distracted by their success that year and didn't address the players concerns as to what assurances he was looking for. And we lost him to Shamrock Rovers. That proved to be a great success for them and, and sort of a, a deficit for us. But to do that on the double is really galling because both Sean Hoare and Sean Gannon, all the indications are that they, they would have stayed if given coherent contract offers. But once again, we don't repeat any old tittle-tattle. We wait until we hear stuff from multiple sources. And it has been reported by, by multiple sources that Sean Hoare was offered a six-month contract, which doesn't even meet 
the minimum standard requirements by the governing body of the league. So in other words, Sean Hoare was given an offer by Dundalk FC, which he literally could not accept if he wanted to, because it would have been thrown out when you went to register that uh, contract as not meeting the minimum standards. So while Dundalk seemed to be floundering around off the field, making that sort of move, Shamrock Rovers, as we feared, have come along and they've had a conversation with him and they've offered him a long-term multi-year contract. And once again, you know, if, if you are as disheveled and disorganized as we appear to be off the field right now, and somebody else comes along and offers you certainty and stability and also a winning team and a pathway to the Champions League, then that becomes a, a, an attractive offer, particularly when you see what Dundalk managed to scrape together uh, as, as a formal offer uh, before the 11th hour bid to actually keep these players. So, I mean, I think the loss of those players, once again, high quality players like Sean, Sean Hoare, some people might say, you know, if we go back to the beginning of his career, uh, Sean was tipped to go over to England, but, you know, seemed a little bit error prone in his St. Patrick's athletic days. And you can look back at the highlights of when he emerged St. Pat's. And although he had pace and he was strong in the air and he had lots of the attributes that we know, he was a little bit error prone. But Sean had developed greatly. And one feels that he's now coming into the peak of his career. And I think most Dundalk fans would have wanted to see him and Daniel Cleary form the, the future foundation of the partnership on which we'd be building our defence. Sean was also versatile in that in a pinch Sean Hoare could play a right back he could also play defensive midfield and he was our quickest defender now what's really frustrating is I thought that we were well ahead of Shamrock Rovers in our defensive capabilities I thought we had a better defense than them I still think we have a better front line than them quite clearly they probably are ahead of us in the midfield category right now but not only have we lost these players, I mean, like you, like Rory said, if you lose them to overseas, it's one thing. If you lose them to another team, like maybe St. Patrick's Athletic or Bohemians, it's not quite the disaster. But it's kind of a sign that we've lost these players now to the runaway champions of last season. They have now solved some serious deficits in their defence. If Liam Scales goes abroad, it's not such a big deal for them now anymore. They're not weakened in that area. They've strengthened in a problem position, a right back, right wing back. And we seem to have just inflicted this on ourselves by essentially, once again, don't want, to always, don't want to always have to bring it back to the owner, but essentially an intervention whereby the owner took control of the negotiations with players and has, in the case of Sean Horn, Sean Gannon, come up short uh, tried a tactic of negotiation which has backfired and now we've lost two very experienced players in the prime of their career to our nearest rivals. I think in that, as regards the loss of Sean Gannon and Sean Hoare, it's little short of a, of a disaster. Uh, and as well as that, to see Danny Mandrew arrive at um, Tallis Stadium, it really gives Rovers the upper hand in the opening weeks of the transfer window. So unless something dramatically changes in the next month. Um, I think they've certainly got a head start when it comes to retaining the, the league championship next season. Um, there's also the other issues that you've mentioned about um, John Mountney and Dan Massey, long-term servants of the club. And once again, we, we haven't really covered ourselves in glory as regards how they have been handled. It seems that they were you know, not really communicated with until the 11th hour. And then after the 11th hour, not really communicated with then. And once again, you know, Dan Massey, 
you could you could look at as you know once again a great servant of the club at 32 years of age and returning from a serious injury you might say perhaps Dane's best days are behind him and with Dara Leahy and Cameron Dummigan as you know options in his position you would think you know perhaps yeah it's conceivable that it's time for Dane to maybe move on if he wants to play first team football but when you lose Sean Gannon and you lose Sean Hoare, Dane and his experience and his versatility, his ability to play at centre-half in a pinch if you need him, as well as left-back, and just to bring bring the composure and experience that you've got from a multi-championship winning player of Dane's calibre, just to keep that in the dressing room, uh, that becomes more important when you lose players like Sean Hoare and Sean Gannon. But yet, both you know Dane and John Mountney, who can also cover for the now rather light right back position that we find ourselves in having lost our first choice right back and his understudy. Um, it seems, it seems a little bit reckless and also the manner in which these players have been gone. I mean, they've given so much to the club and I mean, for them to kind of be more or less told that, uh, you know, no contract for you and that essentially it. I mean, I think what little tanks came along in social media was a little bit, belated and perhaps you know it's certainly to put it this way I know there there does come a time for players to perhaps leave the club but there's a manner in which you can do that and I don't think I don't think the the club has really treated these players in an appropriate manner given what they have contributed to the the success that we've enjoyed over these last few years. Yeah and I think uh, Martin made a very good point about the fact that, for instance John Mountney hasn't got a club, which is, it tells you something massive that, you know, either he wanted to walk away from the situation or they let him go. Um, and in these like uncertain times for a League of Ireland player to be left out of a situation like that, I mean, Dundalk was always one of those clubs in recent years that, you know, one of the clubs that did the 52-week contracts uh, during the COVID times, honoured contracts through everything and all this kind of stuff. But for players to be released like that, and especially like servants of the club uh, who have like done such amazing things uh, for the club, and again to be released in a way and with very little social media commentary on either side about you know thanks for everything, and the club to release this mass statement, almost weirdly as if they felt that eventually they had to acknowledge it. It was almost like oh yeah, by the way, we've noticed lots of players have gone, you know. Um, as if they had to take a box to just mention it. Um, and yeah, there was perfunctory, great servants, thanks for everything type stuff. But I don't think the players got the, um, maybe, yeah, the, the supposed to send off whatever, or the, res- the respect that they deserved. But I do think it, it does point to just a general um, chaotic situation that we're losing players in their prime to rivals and we're seemingly just losing these great servants of the club, who I think still have much to offer. We're just releasing them into the ether. Um, it's a very strange yeah, situation. Ken made a, a really good point, and that is that you're just not just losing, you know, the, what they've got to offer on the field, but you're also losing that character in the dressing room. And one of the things that was really talked about, I think, during Vinnie Perth's first year in the job, was the sheer will to win that was expressed by a majority of the squad. And that was just, you know, that was part of the, the character of what was going on in the dog. I think that the term he used was obsessed with winning. Uh, and there was a feeling that some of the people who had come in and joined the squad were, you know, kind of 
a little bit surprised or a little bit, you know, amazed to see that sheer will to win that, you know, permeated through all of those players that we've just mentioned. And indeed some of the ones that we still re retained, like people like Brian Gartland uh, and things like that. But, you know, we, we haven't even mentioned Gary Rogers yet, you know, uh, another player who's uh, contributed so much in the past six years. And when you're losing, I think, players like himself to retirement, you're losing Sean Gannon to, you know, a major rival. When you're losing a couple of servants like uh, John Mantney and Dan Massey, uh, you know, to, well, wherever they end up going, like that is a huge chunk of that character that has gone into winning all those trophies over the past few years that is going to be missing from the squad. And whatever about the quality of the players that replace them, like having that mentality going into the season that we will win no matter what, you know, I don't think anything is going to replace that. Of course, another development, and we perhaps see some evidence that this may have happened a little bit too late to save some of the some of the squad from departing. But Jim Magilton has arrived. His opening press conference was interesting in that, uh, when asked about his role, he spoke quite honestly that his role is sort of being defined as we speak. He he is discovering exactly what the role is, and we know that um, when Bill talked about getting in a director of football or Pope of football, as he called it, somebody who'd be the boss. He also was a little bit vague about the exact nature of the role. So we have kind of seen a realignment. There, there has sort of been a new, a new structure imposed on the club. And it seems to be very much in the American model of what we would see in a baseball team or a basketball team, that there is an owner beneath him, there is a general manager and beneath him, there is the head coach. And Filippo clearly, you know, he hasn't had an active role in, in identifying players he wants to sign and in retaining the players that he wants to keep. He, he sort of more or less expressed that that was a job that was happening elsewhere in the club. And this once again would bring us to this American model of the head coach is essentially coaching whatever players the general manager signs or Sometimes the owner will intervene and issue instructions as to who is to be recruited. So this is something that's very new for the League of Ireland. It's not a model that I think any club has ever found itself with before. Obviously, you know, we, we talked about our having a conservative instinct with the team because under Stephen Kenny and Vinnie Perth, we had seemingly perfected how to run a League of Ireland football club and football team. We had unprecedented continued success and I think when Stephen Kenny departed everybody's instincts was to try and be conservative and maintain that and change as little as possible and with Vinnie Pert we saw that that was that paid off when we subsequently won the league and won the league cup and almost won a clean sweep basically of every trophy going we seem now to have an entirely different mentality an entirely new structure how do you think that's going to play out I mean do you think Jim Magilton if given a little bit more time, can make this new structure work? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's one of the things where I, like, even myself, who maybe has a bit of a reputation for being a bit negative, um, I, I think we have to give it time. I mean, I think knee-jerk stuff is to say, you know, you know, uh, like, let's not, uh, you know, let's immediately start attacking them. Give it time. I mean, I was very impressed with the choice of uh, Jim Magilton. Um, and I think he's, he's huge calibre. If we're going to go with that structure, which we are, and you know nothing's going to change that and it is essentially that american model and um, which we discussed here before I mean, it's it, I, you know 
I don't really like change. And I, as you said, we had been running a pretty effective ship at Dundalk for years with a certain model. That model has been completely smashed and replaced with this American model. But if that is going to be the model, then Magilton is, I think, a, is, is a fantastic person to put in there. Um, my problem is who is above him in the, in, in the setup. But that aside, um, I think next season, the coming season, is going to be the litmus test. You know, I'm willing to give it that time. I do think you made a good point, though. I think his appointment came at a very strange time because we, 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 we've already discussed it, but we've lost those players. And had he been in earlier, maybe he could have fixed that situation. Because I do remember, it's, it's, you know, the timing was strange. I think he started on the Monday, but some of the damage had already been done the week previous. Um, and that was kind of frustrating because we were getting in this person who I think that the player really could have respected and, you know, probably could have had a lot of sway with them given his, his history, but he didn't get a chance to do that. And uh, now I know since then some players have, have re-signed um, and there's lots of rumors that we're going to see some other ones uh, in the coming days. Um, but I mean, I, I am impressed with him and his, his you know, so far what I've heard from him, but the proof's going to be in the pudding. Uh, I think the proof's going to be in next season, does this model work? It's the only way to test it. Um, from his side of things, it'll be the signings and re-signings, and then it'll be over to uh, Filippo and Giuseppe to see what they do with them. Yeah, well, we've seen some re-signings, so it hasn't all been bad news. David McMillan re-signing, I think, is tremendous news. We saw, once again, his quality come to the fore. Um, brilliant hat-trick in the cup final potentially a target for Shamrock Rovers. I still feel Shamrock Rovers are missing a real out-and-out goal-getting centre-forward, and he would have fit that bill. So I'm just delighted that he actually has been signed for us. We see Sean Murray has also signed. Daniel Kelly has been retained after a lot of talk that he might return to Bohemians. Um, so we, we do have a few of the squad now who are still you know open to offers are being tied down. Of course, we identified a long time ago Michael Duffy being an absolute um, touchstone player that we really need to keep if we're going to make a challenge. You could see next year, if we are to adopt this uh, 4-3-3 model, you know, a front line of Hoban, McMillan, Duffy could be as good a front line as we've ever seen in the League of Ireland. Although, with formations being what they are, uh, whether or not you'll be playing Hoban and McMillan together, it's possible, but that hasn't been the way we've been playing for quite some time. But things are changing. But when you look at the quality that we do have in certain positions, I still think we're stronger up front than most other teams or not any other team really in the League of Ireland. But we really, we can't really have an outcome here where Michael Duffy ends up in green and white hoops and, and we still have a shot at the league next season. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair to say. Uh, a lot of optimism about him re-signing on Twitter. I don't know whether that's justified or not, but definitely re-signing him, I think, would be a, a big statement. And I think, uh, like we we called out in the last podcast, that Jim Magilton was just coming in far too late to actually make a, a meaningful difference to what was going to happen at the very you know kind of start of December and from then onwards. But retaining the the services of the players that he's already got, so. Uh, McMillan, Kelly, Dummigan, Sean Murray has been a pretty good sign. Like I, I think getting them tied down were you know four players that you can definitely see being in and around the the first team, and I think that's that's positive for the future. Uh, not least from the 
the perspective of keeping them out of the hands of you know certain other clubs. Um, so as you say, we've got a, a really really strong looking kind of forward line. But Michael Duffy, you know, being in that position and not playing for anybody else is, is pretty much central to the plan as well. Um, at the same time, I'm a little bit surprised that we further strengthened in that area when we have such obvious gaps in in other places. So like signing Mitch Coogan, I think. Uh, he was a player that really stood out for Kitty in the uh, the playoff game for the Europa League. Like I was very impressed with him. I think he will actually be a really effective player in this league. Uh, but at the same time, that was an area that we were already strong with, say, you know, Pat Hoobin, for example. And at the moment, we have no goalkeepers at the club. Uh, and I think like the amazing kind of commentary around um, Steve Williams leaving. Uh, and, you know, a few wisecracks on Twitter saying, well, you know, he's got no goalkeepers to coach. So, you know, why employ a coach uh, at the same time, you know, kind of had a, a slightly kind of bitter ring to it as we looked at that. Um, why are we further strengthening the forward line when we've you know got no goalkeepers? And as you mentioned already, we've maybe got a bit of a gap at right back. Um, that's an interesting kind of commentary on the, the strategy that's maybe being employed. So I think like at the the tactical level, like dealing with individual players and getting them signed up and stuff like that. Magildan looks like he's doing a good job so far. Uh, maybe, you know, the overall strategy still looks a bit threadbare. Yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, we can, we can talk about the forwards in a moment, but to lose three goalkeepers and the goalkeeping coach is certainly an issue that's going to have to be addressed. And we've seen, I suppose, with other clubs that there is a dearth of goalkeeping talent. Usually in Ireland, you know, there's three or four top quality keepers knocking around the league. But with Gary Rogers' departure, I mean, I think we saw, you know, from once again, from Shamrock Rovers' point of view, they found it very hard to get themselves a quality goalkeeper and eventually had to call upon the goalkeeper they had the last time they were champions to basically come out of retirement. Uh, and it was always a weakness and it was always one of the reasons that, you know, they weren't really a factor when Cork and ourselves were basically hogging the, the league and, and contesting with one another is what the, the Shamrock Rovers seemed to go through a series of goalkeepers who were all dodgy and all prone to catastrophic errors. And when you look around at other teams, there there wasn't really many obvious replacements that you would say, yeah, we'll, we'd have him in if Gary Rogers ever retires. Um, so that that's why it kind of perhaps seems a little bit imprudent to dispense with Aaron McCarry as well rather than because he was a keeper with a huge reputation. I know he had some difficult moments, but when you're thrown into a Europa League game with really no match practice, you know, that's I don't think that's a a game that you can really judge a player's entire um entire talent on. Um I, I do think that he was at least worth hanging on to to compete for the number one place particularly when we don't appear to have any other options there. So Jim Magilton did say that his phone hasn't stopped ringing since he took the position. I hope some of those phone calls are from agents who have some talented goalkeepers because we're really going to need one. If we turn to the front line for a moment, I was just doing some statistical analysis on our new addition to the squad, Ole Eric Midskogen. Basically a player who mostly plays centre forward, but can also play on the left wing. Both positions that were pretty well covered with, uh, with Patrick Oban, David McMillan and Michael Duffy already in the squad. Uh, but his goal to games ratio makes for interesting reading. Basically, he gets one goal for every 4.5 games that he's played over his career. Now, just to compare that, Patrick Hoobin has one goal for every 2.42 games. So that's considerably better. David McMillan is similar. Uh, he has one goal for every 
2.6 games that he plays. So we seem to be getting a player in that is less prolific than what we already have. He's also coming in from a league that is nine places lower down the rankings. So it's, it's a curious appointment. But what makes it even more curious is with Georgie Kelly's departure, uh, we've essentially given a, a free transfer to Georgie after him going out on loan. Whether he would have re-signed anyway is dubious, as I think he now is prioritising getting first-team football and how much of that he would get with Hoban and McMillan alone ahead of him in the squad. Who knows? But would you like to know Georgie Kelly's goals-to-game ratio? 2.04 for every goal. That's actually better than McMillan and better than Patrick Hoban and considerably better than our new recruit. So that's not to jinx Ole. Let's hope that he does come in. He's six foot four, 25 years of age. Um, perhaps he is going to triumph in the league or be a success based on height alone or bringing, bringing just kind of a more European quality to, to, uh, to the league that'll allow him to be a success. Uh, but it would appear if we look at the statistics that we've let go a player who has a, well, who has, you know, over a hundred percent more efficiency in goals to games ratios. Yeah, I think uh, retaining Georgie Kelly would have been impossible hmm. because I think the damage there was done, and I think letting him go out and loan and stuff like this, and he was he must he must have known where he stood in the pecking order, and so I don't really blame him as well. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I can't, couldn't imagine any scenario where he would have resigned with us because he would have known. Uh, he's either going back out and loan or he's he's on the bench. So I think that was a lost cause. Um, it's a shame because I said uh, great talent and the stats speak for themselves. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is I you know I was impressed as well. Um, the, the the fleeting bit we got to see of uh, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his name to say Ole, um, but uh, he's big lad. I think uh, could really uh, stand to him. Excuse the pun. Um, I, I I do think that that kind of height advantage in the League of Ireland. Um, it could really pay off. Uh, so maybe that's it. I, I also get the impression, because we signed him from a team that we played, that it was a somewhat advantageous signing. That obviously, you know, we had seen him. Word had got out. He caught the eye. Word got out that he was moving on or something. Like that. So it seemed like it was an advantageous signing, which isn't to downplay it or to say that, you know, it wasn't taught out. But I do think that they probably got this sniff and said, right, let's go for him. Um, because as you said at the start there, um, it's not really an area of priority that we need to start looking at. It's obviously the gaping hole in, in between the posts. Um, and obviously defence needs a bit of work. Uh, Striker is the last thing in, in that list that we need. So I just get the impression that they, they must have got wind that he was up for grabs, so they went for it. But the thing I find most surprising is that, you know, I think... When you look at Georgie Kelly departing, the reason that he's gone is that he was just too similar to, to Patrick Hoban. Like the, the two of them were essentially competing for the same place. And what I liked about the, the other options that we had is that David McMillan is a different type of striker. When you look at what he brings, it's a real, you know, dogged determination, like hounding defenders, like never stopping for the time he's on the field. The amount of energy he expends, you know, either uh, chasing central defenders or, you know, uh, running in behind them and that kind of thing is just like really incredible when you, you watch him at work. And that was a little bit different from what Patrick Coopin offered. Uh, and at the same time, he's got like a, a quality finisher as well at the same time. So um, lots of advantages there. And I think 
In reserve then as well, we had the likes of Daniel Kelly, who played up front in at least one European game and looked very effective. And what he brings to the table is a lot of pace over the top. So maybe what the other two haven't got is, you know, somebody who, you know, out and out, you can just stick a ball over the top of the, the back four of whoever you're playing against and hope that he will chase it. And he's a pretty good finisher himself. And then you look at Mitz Kogan coming in and you think to yourself, hmm, what is it that's different that he's bringing to the party? And I'm not sure. I mean, uh, when he played against us, he looked mobile, maybe a bit more mobile than Patrick Hoban. Uh, at the same time, he was, you know, <laughs> he scored a great goal. So, like, he can clearly finish as well. Uh, but, you know, he's he's not going to be somebody that you're going to be looking for long balls over the top to. Uh, and so it's a bit difficult to say where he's going to place in the pecking order. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm, for that reason... I'm not really sure why that was an area that was targeted in particular. Um, bit of a, a strange one. It's plenty of strange things going on as regards to recruitment right now. But hopefully, though, we will have a balanced squad come the opening of the season, particularly that goalkeeping area. Um, one area that also has been addressed, and yeah, we've looked at the Faroe Islands again for a replacement for Sean Hoare at centre-half, uh, Sonny Natistead. Uh, he's an international player, uh, Haitian-born, but a Faroe Islands international. 26-year-old. Uh, Once again, seemingly we're going for height. Um, he's uh, six foot plus, six foot five, I think, according to his stats. Um, I know nothing about him. Um, but what do you think is driving this interest in players from the Faroe Islands? Is it simply that we played a Faroese team and now we've begun to look at that league more closely? That's the only thing I can think of that it's some. It's kind of advantageous that they that we came across them and that the, the club have seen something up there. Or is there a, an agent involved that has these contacts? It could well be an agent driving all this. Who knows? Um, but uh, or possibly we're looking for rhyming reason uh, from a club that has absolutely no um, sense of logic or a preparation. Well, I think Brian Kerr talked about Faroese football being on the up lately, that like internationally they're doing quite well, uh, albeit that they're in a, a much lower pot than uh, the Republic of Ireland are. But, uh, you know, they seem to have some good coaches involved. Uh, clearly, they made it, you know, KAE made it to the, the playoff round. Um, and so you can see that, you know, okay, maybe they're not at the, the same level of quality that our league is yet. But they are certainly starting to produce some good players and, you know, starting to, to get things right. And I think maybe that's a good strategic move that we're looking at leagues like that where we still have a bit of an advantage over maybe in terms of the amount that we can pay players. Um, and say that is an area where, you know, one or two of the select best players in the league we could pick up and really strengthen. Um, but the risk you're taking in that case is, you know, we've said it a lot on previous casts as well, that when somebody comes into the league uh, from outside, it takes quite a while to acclimatise, uh, particularly to you know the pace of the league and the the tempo at which games are, are typically played. And a lot of you know Central European players uh, struggle when it comes to being dropped into to that environment to start with. I, I'll be honest; I don't know a lot about the Faroese league. Uh, I'm not going to be able to say whether that is similar enough to our own that people are just going to be able to hit the ground running or not. Um, but that is a risk. Well, regardless of what happens, we will see a lot of former Dundalk players returning to um, Oriel next season in the in the colours of other clubs. And it sort of brings us to what reception they can expect. Now, uh, for me, 
I think there is a scale of how you handle your departures. Uh, although most Dundalk fans have sort of probably blotted it out of our memory, one of our most popular uh, servants ever, Martin Lawler, he did actually leave for a season and commit the ultimate crime of going to Shamrock Rovers before he came back to to be a kind of squad player for the 95 league win. And Brian Byrne, another fan favourite, did leave to go to Shamrock Rovers as well. So this path is not unprecedented. Um, but I did see when... Um, when Sean Gannon and Sean Hoare announced they, um, the, well, they were announced by Shamrock Rovers of hasn't signed for them. Now, Finney Perth was once again on News Talk and he described it as heartbreaking to see Sean Gannon in a Shamrock Rovers jersey. I'd have to put it a little bit stronger than that. I could not watch that stuff on their media feed. I just found it physically sickening to see Sean Gannon at a Shamrock Rovers press conference. Uh, because to me, uh, he was the embodiment of of the team. I just, you know, will always associate him with it, that those, those glorious and um, uh, the, the all the all the achievements of the Kenny Perth era. He seemed to embody everything that was good about them. I just couldn't watch it. Like I, I usually watch other media feeds for that. I just could, could not bear the sight of it. Um, now, uh, but I did see on on our own social media fields a lot of fans coming out with like snake emojis and t- like talking about betrayal and all of that. Now. To me, there is, a, there, is a, there is a scale here. I mean, nobody really gave out about Martin Lawler giving us 18-year service and going away for a season and coming back. Likewise, I don't think Brian Byrne tarnished his reputation because Dundalk, was, once again, we were, we were somewhat falling apart when he was tempted away to, to Rovers. Um, you know, I, I think there's a big difference between that and kind of, I think if you want to go to the most kind of, uh, dubious end of the departure to rover scale. It's certainly Mr. Neil Fenn sits at the pinnacle of that particular mud pile uh, to feign retirement and ask to be released from your contract and to get that in good faith and then to return two or three weeks later leading the, uh, the line for Shamrock Rovers. I think you have to go to certain pages of the Bible to find betrayal of, of that level. Um, but I do feel in the context of the two Sean's, particularly Sean Gannon. I mean, we what we took him from Shamrock Rovers, where apparently he wasn't that highly rated. He swiftly became an absolute legend for Dundalk FC. Gave us years of great service. Fully believe what I've been told that he would have stayed and wanted to stay, and was very much wedded to Dundalk as a club. I just think, sickening and all, as the sight of him is going to one of our main rivals. I think the absolute salt in the wound would be if Sean Gannon was now booed by Dundalk fans on his return. I know some people will just feel that as a kind of obligation of being a Dundalk fan that they've got to do it. But uh, for me, I mean, in my heart, Sean Gannon will remain a Dundalk player at some emotional level. I just wanted to ask you guys what you thought about that. The, The rivalry is intense, we know. Uh, you know, it, it goes through generations, regardless of where we are in the league. Um, you know, Shamrock Rovers is always a game that's keenly anticipated, and the rivalry has been intense for generation after generation. But I mean, I, I just, I just would hate to see Sean Gannon being booed by Dundalk FC fans after all he's given us. Uh, wh- where would you guys uh, stand on that? I, I think you can't blame players particularly in the current circumstances for looking after themselves and their families and, you know, trying to secure employment for themselves uh, for the foreseeable future and trying to make sure that they're well paid. And definitely the way things that have, have panned out for those players, 
definitely seems like their their value was underappreciated at Dundalk. Uh, and so this isn't a feeling like they have, you know, engineered some kind of, you know, ruthless mechanism to get themselves a, a gig elsewhere uh, and headed off to, to Pastures New. This is something that like has been largely forced upon them uh, by the club that used to employ them. And particularly when you look around, you know, where else could they have gone? People say, you know, well, why Rovers? You know, there's there's almost nowhere else that they could have gone where they could have been paid a similar amount that they were at Dundalk and secured a contract of any tenure. Uh, and I think when we look around the rest of the league, we're looking at a league that is really in crisis at the moment. And it's very understated at the moment. I think everybody is worried about their own individual problems. But if you take a, a survey of the league, like we've had a major club in Cork, uh, go down and be in a kind of severe financial crisis and it looks like they will probably survive but even that's not you know entirely certain uh, you know stories coming out of other places like you know Waterford don't seem to have signed anybody for next year yet uh, Derry have come out and publicly announced that they're going local that you know they, they don't have the funds um, basically to, to try to put together a team that I think are capable of competing for Europe the league as a whole has no sponsor uh, there's no TV deal. Uh, so far, there's no agreed streaming deal. Uh, like everywhere you look, uh, it's just a huge crisis. And so if you're not going to be at Dundalk next season, where are you going to be? And the answer for anybody who's actually signed a deal seems to be Shamrock Rovers. And sad as I am to, to say that, that seems to be like the only alternative for these players. So do I have any kind of um, misgivings about like their choices about where they went? Not really at all. Yeah, I, I I agree. I well, first of all, I think Sean Gannon's saving grace might be that if he gets booed next season, it'll be true. Watch LOI screens. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I I don't think we'll get the opportunity to debate whether or not we're giving him abuse. Uh, but that's another discussion. Yeah, no, the one you didn't mention, although I don't think he was with the dock long enough to uh, sustain legendary status. But I do think uh, Ronan Finn's departure to Rovers uh, was one that stung. Because at the time, we were on, on top. And that felt kind of like a weird betrayal because he was walking away from the top team in the country to go to Rovers. Now, if you read the reports, Ronan Finn, was that he was, as you said, he was offered a very stable long-term contract by Rovers, a better contract than the Dock were offering. Um, but that, again, that, 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 that stung when he went there and some of the comments he made about, you know, when he was eventually right, eventually, but it took uh, five years that they were on the up. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think everything you've all said is true. I mean, I think to put snake emojis or to give him abuse online or to abuse Sean Gannon is ridiculous. First of all, for what he did for the club. Um, and second of all, this is on the chairman. Okay, but by any stretch of the imagination, this was Dundalk's uh, mess up. So to blame Sean, if you have any anger or you've got negative energy about this situation, you don't point it at Sean Gannon, who, as Martin said, has to look out for himself and his family, you know, in a precarious job, League of Ireland footballer, at the most precarious time ever, he was offered a safe, uh, safe harbour in a storm. Uh, we weren't. So I don't, 
blame Sean Gannon for a second. I agree. It was it was really really disheartening to see those posts, and when it was coming and on Twitter that afternoon, it really, um, it, it it was hard to stomach. But not a bit of that negative energy, I think, goes to uh, either of them uh, or Sean Hoare, um, because by all accounts, we dropped the ball on it, and that energy needs to go. To, any negativity needs to go towards. Um, Whoever is dishing out the contracts or not dishing out the contracts. So, no, no, I, I, I don't think Sean Gannon deserves a bit of abuse. Uh, it, it will happen. Um, but I think it's going to be a minority, to be honest with you. And hopefully maybe the rest of Royal Park can tell them to shut up. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Like, can we say that there is an argument for not offering people long-term deals, given the uncertainty that there is around the league at the moment, about like when the league will resume or how many games will be played? Uh, or whether there will be any money to, you know, kind of fund prize money and things like that. Well, I think that's an interesting point. And I think James Rogers, local journalist and one of our listeners, who gave us a tweet during the week. Thanks very much, James. Uh, he made that argument, I think, when he was on Between the Stripes. He said, perhaps there's a rationale here where Dundalk think that it's too uncertain to offer multi-year contracts. But... Offering contracts is a competitive enterprise. If you set out your stall and think I can maintain the talent that I want with the offer that I'm going to make in a competitive environment, then the proof of whether you're correct or not is if you manage to keep the talent that you want to keep. Now, it appears to me that we did want to keep Sean Gannon. We did want to keep um, Sean Hoare, but we made contract offers which were in one case so bizarre as to not even meet the minimum criteria for the governing body as i said it, like once again this is something that rory mentioned about the libertarian maverick stroke that the chairman seems to have that the rules and the regulations are for other people or he'll just come up with an idea and try and impose it well i mean when you offer a player a six-month contract that isn't legal which we've heard from multiple sources, that was the offer that was made to Sean Hoare, and Shamrock Rovers come in and offer you a multi-year contract. I mean, that, that isn't really a dilemma. You've only got one coherent offer there. So when you only have one offer, you've only got one option. Apparently, Sean Gannon was also offered a one-year contract and told to prove that he was worthy of another one. Well, I'm sorry. Um, if any player has proven their quality in the history of League of Ireland, it's Sean Gannon. All he has to do is point to his kind of mantelpiece and you will see all the medals that he's won throughout his career. So I don't, like, you can say, yeah, look, it was a hard bargain. I mean, if they had to pull this off, if they had to kept our best players, you would say, yep, you got it right there, guys. Your negotiation, your strategy, your tactics was all sound. But when you hand five-star players in the prime of their career to your main rival, you weaken yourself while correspondingly strengthening them, it's a disaster and it's got to be called out as a disaster. And I think those two departures in particular um, really hand Shamrock Rovers the initiative and gives them a spring in their step. And you couple that with Mandrew, who we haven't even talked about. Um, like Jack Byrne has departed officially <clears throat> and Good luck to Jack Byrne. We can now be magnanimous about him. Uh, once again, the hype, he would have to have been capable of, of miracles. Once again, we'd be turning to the Bible if the hype was justified. But I think everybody who likes football and can take off their club loyalty glasses for a moment will acknowledge that Jack Byrne was a star player in the league and a player of real quality. 
And uh, had the Crown Plaza rumours turned to be true, I'm sure every Dundalk fan would have loved the idea, however far-fetched it was, that he'd be lining out as our number 10. But the thing about the Shamrock Rovers squad is, I think the, the centrality of Jack Byrne was somewhat overplayed. Because even without him, you've got an awful lot of quality in that midfield. And with Mandrew, you probably have a player of sufficient quality coming in to really soften the loss of Jack Byrne. Jack Byrne got eight or nine goals, I think, this season, this in the half season that we just played. I would expect, unless Danny Mandrew goes there and flops, that Danny Mandrew, surrounded by the quality of players that Shamrock Rovers have, will get at least 10 goals from play in a full season, should we have one. And in other words, I think he's a ready-made replacement. I don't think Shamrock Rovers will be greatly weakened. Now, I've seen a lot of commentary on Twitter and it's basically speculating that Shamrock Rovers are a much diminished force now that Jack Byrne has gone. Really, I think, I think you're buying too much into the Jack Byrne hype with that. If you take the current Shamrock Rovers squad and you add Sean Hoare and you add Sean Gannon and you add Danny Mandrew, that's a stronger team than last year, even without Jack Byrne. And it's got more know-how and it's got more experience. And of course, all of them now have a league medal on their mantelpiece from which they can draw confidence. So I would not expect the departure of Jack Byrne to have that negative an impact on them. Um, I, I, I don't want to dismiss your point entirely, but he was their top scorer. He was also their man with the most assists. And he also played a good bit deeper than Mandry or Duz and you know, probably did more work defensively than Mandry will do. So... To talk about Mandrew being a kind of ready-made replacement that is just going to drop in there, I don't think that is correct. And I think the loss of Jack Byrne will significantly weaken Rovers. Um, that's not to say like that their business is finished in the transfer market, and they might add another player or two here, you know, particularly up front, uh, where I think they struggle a little bit, that might add to them. But uh, I still think that there is a lot that Jack Byrne was doing that is not going to be replaced by what they've got currently. And so I do think, as things currently stand, things have maybe leveled off a bit, but it's hard to say. I'm, I'm going to come in here right in the middle between the two. Uh, I, I kind of, I think, I definitely don't think it's the loss to Rovers that some people are making out. It's not a Sean Maguire Cork situation. Um, because when Sean Maguire left Cork, I mean, that is the season, that's a, that's a season of two halves. You know, you could see it. I mean, it's, Right down the middle when he left uh, is when, I mean, the damage was done. But had he left earlier, uh, Dundalk could have won that league. So I think Sean Maguire Cork had a way more central role in their league win. I think Jack Byrne is an amazing player. Um, I don't think he was the second coming of Christ that some people made out. I think he's a really, really good player. I still maintain Richie Towell is better. Um um, and I mean, people can say, "Oh, well, you're a dog fan." I still think Towel in 2015 um, was was a more complete uh, player. Um, but I think that they were really strong. All the other positions around him are really strong as well. I mean, they were really formidable midfield. Um, I do think striking wise, they. I agree. I think we've got a better forward line. Um, they've <laughs> probably got the best defence, you know. Uh, um, I think that he will be a loss to them, but I still think, I mean, they are still going to be favourites, strong favourites um, uh, next season. Um, so, 
I, I mean, you know, it's it's good that he's gone. Um, is not a chance in hell he is signing for us. I, I still know there are some true believers out there who um, I don't know what planet they live on or, you know, but who still believe that he may rock up the M1. Um, never going to happen. It was never going to happen either. Um, I'd almost pull him aside and say, Jack, uh, yeah, are you feeling okay, you know, uh, <laughs> to, to join us? Um, I just think that would be a crazy move for him. And that tells you everything you need to know about Shamrock Rovers and Dundalk at the moment. Um, but I still think they're going to be the team to beat. I know we talked a lot about Shamrock Rovers. It's not that we're obsessed with them. It's simply they're where Cork were a couple of years ago. And I imagine if we were doing this podcast back in 2016, 2017, we'd be talking as much about Cork City. But um, it seemed that if you go back to the last time Shamrock Rovers won the league, it looked ominous because they had won it twice in a row. They had the new ground in Tala, they were discovering a new fan base. A lot of people were reconnecting with the club and it looked very much like having won it twice. There was a foundation there for a decade of dominance that might not be broken because they had the financial muscle, they had the momentum of success, they had a league winning team. And then Michael O'Neill got taken to international management by the IFA and suddenly Shamrock Rovers seemed to go into a period whereby they made a series of hasty decisions to sack managers, most notably Stephen Kenny. And we kind of can now see the full scale of that mistake. But also, Trevor Crawley wasn't really given much time and Pat Fenlon wasn't really given much time either. There seemed to be after expectations rose under Michael O'Neill and Jim Magilton that Shamrock Rovers should naturally be winning the league every year. And if you weren't winning it after two months, the, the, the clouds began to gather around and the fans began to give out. And there, there was a series of very hasty sackings, a period of instability, a lot of good players leaving Shamrock Rovers to actually join Dundalk and form the foundation of what would go on to be our period of dominance with, of course, an ex-Shamrock Rovers manager. Now, well, the reason I bring that up is, have Shamrock Rovers learned the lesson that we previously seemed to learn that stability was important, that we brought Stephen Kenny in with a blank slate, we gave him complete authority to build a team, however long it took, and it didn't take all that long because Stephen was so good, but we stuck by him, we gave him control, we had utter faith in the manager. Whereas, you know, now we had the precipitous sacking of Vinnie Pert really... What I think most people say without really the justification of, I think you should only really sack a manager when it's clear that there is very, very little probability that things will improve and he has tried everything and he has been given, you know, adequate time. I think that that's the criteria. Once you're convinced that, you know, you are in a unalterable decline, I think that's when you can begin to consider a manager's position. But I don't think anybody can say that was the case. We barely had a dip in form and Vinnie Pert was gone. And we know that there was a lot of instability in the background created by the chairman. But the reason I mention it is we seem to have become unstable. We seem to be making the type of decisions off the field that Shamrock Rovers were, which took them from a position of dominance to many, many years of stagnation, instability, managers coming and going, players coming and going. And now it looks like Shamrock Rovers have learned the lesson from our success. Stephen Bradley, as we all know, was under a lot of pressure. The fans had the banners out. 
They wanted him sacked. They wanted him gone. But the board, rather than doing what they did in the past up in Tala, they stuck with him through many, many, you know, couple of lean seasons where they weren't really competitive and they weren't getting close to Cork and they weren't getting close to us. And that probably were hard seasons for Shamrock Rovers fans to endure when their, you know, appetite is for silverware. But finally, having persisted with them, having stuck with their manager, they're now enjoying the success of that. So I suppose the question that I'm putting to you is, have they learned lessons from us just at the exact same moment that we've forgotten the lessons that made us successful during this glory period? Yeah, I think pretty much. I think the fact that they stuck with Bradley following the banner incident, which we were, it was against us, and we saw it all. I mean, Rovers in the past have pulled the trigger, as, we, as, you, as you've said, um, kind of uh, quite hastily. But against the fans and that level of uh, vocal, um, so the vocal lack of support that Bradley had, for them to hold then uh, was a really brave decision by them because they've been swayed by the fans in the past before. Um, and they, they stuck with him and it has paid off. So definitely, and I think you've summed it up, it's, it's more the inverse situation because I think, I mean, there's lots of stories about Vinnie Perth and rumours and, you know, falling out with players, falling out with the chairman, all this kind of stuff. But if you take it on footballing terms, yes, we didn't restart great, but nowhere near sacking level. And that's why I think we were so shocked. There was so much anger. I think particularly on this podcast, we were all against the sacking. And I still think it goes down as the biggest black mark of last uh, season. Um, I don't. He didn't deserve to be sacked. Okay, If you're talking about footballing results, he was nowhere near that. I would agree with you. Um, it's still a crazy decision. And you know, people have asked the hypothetical situation, you know, given that what happened in the end, the European campaign, and given the FAI Cup, was it the right decision? I still think it was the wrong decision. We talked about this in a previous podcast. I still think it was the wrong decision. But that's, we're in what-if territory at this stage. But definitely, the, the, it has flipped. And I think, now, the only thing I will say is that, especially with, quote-unquote, the Dublin media, there is always this narrative of a period of Shamrock Rover's dominance is foretold and will come to pass. It's, it's almost biblical, you know, a prophecy that they will return from the wilderness and it's set in stone that they will have years of dominance. I do think at the start of the last decade, that was, everyone was clamoring for it. Didn't happen. Um, then there was talk of Cork having a, a period of dominance. That didn't happen. This time around, I do think that uh, the, the situation is bleak in that regard for us because I just think everything is fitting into place for them to, um, to I just can't see anyone taking the league off them um, I think Dundalk will probably return to rivaling them and replace Bowes in that uh, regard but I still think they now, the stage is set for them to dominate Interesting, though, goes back to a question Martin had earlier on about things like, you know, offering six-month contracts and is it the right thing to do? And the one, one thing about that is, you know, I would say that maybe for some clubs, yes, in the current climate, not offering long contracts is an option. But when you're owned by literal millionaires, um, I don't think that's an option. Do you know what I mean? And Rovers appear to have the financial clout to pry away our players 
lockdown players, bring in players like Mandrew, okay? So they have, they've, they've got a board who's sticking by their manager and they're giving him resources. We have the opposite. We have a board which is not sticking by staff, multiple staff members, and is not giving the resources. And that is, the stage is set for, it's, 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 Rovers, it's Rovers ball. I do want to talk about the the kind of macro climate that exists as well, because I think, you know, back in 2010, 2011, this country was basically imploding at the same time. And so you can say, yes, that, you know, Rovers were kind of set on a, a period of dominance and everything was looking rosy from their perspective. But, you know, slightly in, or just out of shot, uh, the entire country was about to uproot itself. Uh, and, you know, half the population under 25 were <laughs> embarking on journeys around the world and things like that. Um, and I think one thing that characterized the period, uh, the early period of the success of Stephen Kenny was the steep decline that many of the Dublin clubs went into at the same time. So like Rovers went on a pretty steep decline, um, Bows and Pats both nearly got relegated uh, in the same period of time. And I think the dog really benefited from that. Like we had uh, a grip uh, on the the quality players that existed on the East Coast. Now, I know Stephen Kenny, you know, dug most of those out of, you know, the reserves uh, from, from other teams and things like that. So it wasn't the case that he was simply pulling like all the talent in. But at the same time, the longer it went on, the more I think Dundalk had the financial muscle. Uh, and I think the other clubs, you know, were in a, a poor position that meant we really had the, the opportunity to, you know, have a, a competitive advantage when it came to getting players and signing contracts and things like that. If you look at the, the situation currently, again, there's a bit of a crisis underway, but I think the picture around the East Coast is much more mixed. Like, I think Bows are, you know, at a, a kind of recent high point. Uh, they certainly seem to have a great youth system and their par partnership with St. Kevin's Boys seems to, like, bring them in a, a lot of talent on a conveyor belt there. Um, and I think if you're a young player in the Dublin area and you're looking at, like, which team am I going to get a lot of first-team football at, maybe Bows are, you know, first on your list. Uh, in that case. Um, between Rovers and Dundalk then, like I think financially, there's still a lot of competition underway there in terms of like who can offer contracts, who can guarantee that their players will be played, uh, sorry, paid the whole way through the, the league come what may. Um, you might say we have a slight advantage there. So I think the picture looks a little bit different there. And I wouldn't be anywhere near as confident of saying that any club is going to dominate for the foreseeable future like there's so much uncertainty but i would say that the big thing is that once you go outside the top three you're looking at a bit of a wilderness like i know sligo have qualified for europe as well but like that money is not going to turn up until december next year so i'd imagine they're going to be rattling the collection buckets uh, out west again i think we've already seen ronan and Coughlin, who's probably their best player depart from them and uh you know you look at the rest of the league it's hard to say uh, what kind of money they're offering or who is going to be playing or even when we're going to be playing or how many games we're going to be playing. Uh, so I think that is one thing that is really going to play into the coming season. Like, I think there are a lot of clubs outside the top three that are really going to struggle um, because they don't have the benefit of European money. And uh, I can see there being a, a steep divide between, you know, the, the haves and the have-nots. So I just noticed that uh, Christian Azerjan is still available and without a club at the moment. So I hope Jim Magilton is onto his agent as we speak, looking for a player who uh, has some experience with the league and is just what I think uh, Dundalk Midfield needs. Yeah, I, I think uh, having sponsored him in the past, uh, I think we'd be glad to see him back again. 
anyway, I suppose for for a period where we've had no actual football, we've probably talked enough about the transfer window for now. Hopefully over the coming weeks, we will see an influx of players in that will give us the, the strength and depth that we need to make a challenge of it. Uh, and And I suppose... Everybody will be looking forward to the start of the new season and hopefully the prospect of a post-COVID full season where we'll actually get back into Oriel and be able to cheer on the lads again. So thanks very much again for joining me, guys. Uh, It's been an interesting discussion and um, we look forward to more action in the transfer market. Hopefully Jim Magilton will be getting to grips with his role and getting in the players that we need to to make a, a good challenge for next season. Until next time then, that's it for now.